chapter 2 of Jeremiah. If you want to open your Bibles, I usually have the PowerPoint with me, but not this morning. So you open your Bibles. I know we got the Peel Bibles there uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, and you leave open there. We don't have, because of time constraint, we cannot read the whole thing. Well, we should, but I will give you the insights of what's going on. The Bible commands us to be full of joy. That's what uh, we hear from scriptures. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Be joyful always. So when should we be joyful? Always. It's not a certain time. It's not a certain day of the week. And then Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. So in whom should I delight? In the Lord. We learn this from Scripture. The Bible commands us to be full of joy. Now, the paradox for us is that Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. How can I be joyful and die to myself? And I know it is not in this church. Always when I come to a church, I speak about churches out there. It's not for us. It's some example out there. There is a cloud of sadness in some churches because we don't see any smile. People are all uptight. They're all serious about everything, all legalistic, and then they, they just don't relax. They don't know how to find this joy. So the paradox is that Jesus is calling us to die, but he did never intend for us not to be happy. He didn't ask us to be unhappy. So God wants us to be joyous in Him. That's what He wants. He wants us to find joy in Him. Once we find that, we should remain there. It's finding the spot at God, in God's hands, and then, then you stay there. And don't leave that place. Stay with God. And most Christians uh, do find joy in the Lord. I'm not saying they don't. They do. But at some point in their journey, they lose their joy. And we don't know why. The scripture says they lost the first love. Some people just get sad about lives, about things and situations and stress and depression. For at some point in their walk, they lose their joy. The question to be asked is, why does that happen? Why one Christian would lose their joy for the Lord and, and, and you know, live a, such a, a, a life, have a, such a kind of behavior that is not what Scripture asks us. Why Christians lose joy for the Lord? Why some people cannot be satisfied in the presence, love, and care of the Creator of the universe? What else do we need besides having Him? That's the question I like to ask this morning. Maybe the answer will be in line with what C.S. Lewis says he said that we are too easily satisfied. We find satisfaction too easily in too many things. Maybe we find the answer to be aligned to that. So in our text, chapter 2 of Jeremiah, it talks about a period of time when Israel lost the joy for the Lord. But in this case here, we're going to study the extreme so we can find where we are and we try to measure that in our own lives. But in this case was a time of total apostasy. The people just turned their faces against the Lord at this time. 
about 800 years after Exodus, about eight centuries after the Exodus experience. So I like to read just verse 4, where we read up to, and then I like to read verses 12 and 13, and we're going to use that as our context this morning. Verse 4 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shuddered with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, they spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So we have here an image, a parallel, also a contrast in which we're going to get into it and see how is the Lord building his case against that, those kind of people that at some point in their journey, they lose the joy for the Lord. What's going on? What's happening? Why did they lose the joy? If we read the whole chapter 2 of Jeremiah, we will find out that God is still excited about the Exodus experience. If you keep reading, you will find that out. He is still excited about the Exodus, and he reminds Israel of the time when he delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And through the desert, he cared for them and, you know, and was very loving with them and, and brought them up to the promised land. He did a retrospect, a review of everything he had done for them. And the picture being painted here is that the Israelites had turned to idolatry. They have chosen Baal. They have chosen all the gods but the Creator. So they have put their trust in the things of man and not the things of God, a nation that had experienced the power of God for centuries, and in, which in, implies to me that we have a problem in our short-term memory. Or we do have a lot of short-term memory. We have a problem in our long-term memory because we forget the Lord too easily. So why do we mean by people leaving God's presence and God's joy? What's the reason why they left God's providence, care, power, and everything? And he stuffed all that inside of a little box. What do we mean by stuff in a little box? This is the way I think. I stuff God in my own way of thinking, and I use Him to get what I want. Like some genie in a magic lamp. And I know that because when I pay attention in people's prayers, and I always like to divide prayers in two parts, and I only hear one, and they say, God, give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, uh, give me, bless me. And give me, in your son's name, amen. But I don't hear the second part. The so that, the in order that, why would God give you anything? Think about it. God, give me, give me, bless me, so that what? What are you going to do with it? What will happen after that when God blesses you? Because if we are not careful, all the blessings of God can become our curse. Because some people accumulate that. <laughs> and when they accumulate, they keep it. They don't want to share and they don't want to 
bless anybody. They don't want to do the Abrahamic covenant. So, instead of allowing him and his purpose to rule and reign in my life, I conform God into my own world, into my own way of thinking. And how does that work? In our text, Jeremiah says that there are two sins God's people can commit. The one he mentions is have forsaken God. And the second one is they have dug their own cisterns. So we're going to start with the cistern metaphor. Cistern is a man-made well. What does that imply to me? It is man trying to survive in his own terms. If it doesn't come from God, I build my own. I can build my own reservoir. If I don't find joy in God, I buy my own joy. I find it. If I have to buy and purchase, I'll go and get it. So that's what a man-made idea signifies here. Is it a way of man trying to define nature to extend his life? I will save my water here so late I don't need God. I have my own reservoir. Spiritually, in this passage, it illustrates man devising a way to manage his own necessities. Is man trying to manage his own way, his own necessities, instead of depending totally, completely, in God the Creator? So it is important to understand that God never said, don't seek your joy. I don't want you to be happy. I don't want you to have any joy. God is not saying that. What God is saying here is that you have sought your joy in the wrong places. You went to find in the wrong places. You went to seek for and search for in places that I do not allow. You just went way above what you could do. You're trying too much and too hard on your own. You should wait for me. So to allow us to understand what's going on, he gives us a parallel. He talks about two sins. And I like to start with sin number two. What I call sin number two, it is the broken cisterns metaphor. He says, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, I like you to observe that the cistern mentioned in the text was dug by man, was not dug by God was not given by God. Man did it on his own. He went there and tried to solve his own necessities. It is man's own effort to devise a plan of survival. And men are very experienced on that nowadays. We are masters of not needing God. We master that. Our kids learn that. They can't live without God, believe me. Don't kid yourself. We taught them well. But when we try to survive on our own, when our joy is, it is based on what the world has to offer, it cannot satisfy. We cannot find any joy. And our text says that it cannot hold water. And I like to use a more modern sentence so you can understand. How is it working for you? I have a friend that I tutor in chemistry. 
And one day we came across a chapter that was very tough. The concepts were not easy. And as soon as I finished explaining to him the concept, he threw a fit. He was upset. And then he was mad. And he threw his you know, notebook to the side. And he stood up. He went to the bathroom. When he come back and he sat down, I said, how is it working for you? Is it teaching you chemistry? How is it working for you? Some people do that. They are on their third divorce, maybe fourth. How is it working for you? Some people are trying to devise their own plans to fulfill their own necessities. How is it working for you? It does not hold water, does it? It does hold water. That's what God is asking them. How is it working for you? I like to call it simple joys of life. And what does characterize these simple joys? Simple joys are usually quick. They are quick. They don't last. They are of great temporary pleasure. These simple joys are abundant. They are everywhere. They surround us. They are so uh, display around us that we want to have them anyways. We want to buy them. We want to collect them. We want to consume them. But they are around us. But what they do actually is that they take our focus off of God. This is what they do. They distract us. Our cisterns are extremely full, leaving us very little free time for God. Because we keep filling up our boxes with something else other than God. So we learn how to delight in things instead of delighting in God. And slowly as we behave that way, as managers of our own destiny, our own man, our own woman, because we are fighting here like crazy to just say, you know, women have rights. Okay, I got that. How is it working for you? How is it working for your family? And we keep collecting those called victories inside of this box, and we try to conform God's in our way of thinking. But the scripture says in our text that our cistern is broken. means that it has a leak. It's not holding water, is it? How is it working? It's not holding water. That's what the text says. It cannot hold our own efforts. We try, we try, we try, but it's not working. It implies that the joys we seek after, they are short-lived. We keep trying it. We go from the first to the second to the third, and we don't learn the lessons. Can you explain that better for me, Pastor? Yes, I can. It is like having a dinner at a Mexican restaurant. You go to a Mexican restaurant, you eat so much, a lot of salsa and chips. By the time the main course comes, you are not hungry anymore. You're full. You say, do you have a box? Because now I want to take it. Or sometimes you don't even eat it. It's just like that. So how it works for us spiritually. We have enjoyed the blessings of God so much. When come times to meeting with him. We don't want him anymore. Because we want a blessing. We don't want a God. See we want the benefits of God. But we don't want a God himself. The way I see that. It is, it is the prayer again. I will go back to the prayer metaphor so you can have a handle i see christians praying this way god could you give me more money so i can enjoy something else other than you 
God, can you give me some more money, God, so I can buy some other stuff other than going to church on Sunday? A jet ski or a boat or something so I can enjoy something else other than you because, you know, you're kind of boring. That's the way it happens. That's the way it begins slowly. And that's why I started with sin number two because sin number one will come right after. What's the consequences of replacing God for little things that becomes big things? That becomes collections for our own behavior. It happens that we reject God at some point. Once people replace God for thanks, they reject God completely. And the con contrast given here in this text by Jeremiah to illustrate God's way of caring for man's necessities, he uses the opposite of a cistern. He uses a spring of living water. And that's when we're going to begin our alignment this morning. What characterizes a spring of living water? We don't, do not worry about provisions. The water do not run out. Actually, I will rephrase it. The water will never run out with the spring of living water. I don't have to worry about anything. If I go there in the morning, it's running. If I get there at night, it's running. If I go there tomorrow, it's still running. <laughs> what are you worrying about? So he gives us this contrast. Oh, no. The catch here is that you have to search for it. You don't find it everywhere. It's not plenty available like people say. We must search for it. We must wait patiently for it. It is not found in seeking God and then seeking something else. It's not having a little foot in the world and a little foot in church. It's not having a backpack God. God, come with me there. When I arrive there, I take God from my back and I leave the backpack there. Stay there, God. When I come back, I need you again because I have to catch the flight back and this plane may fall. So you sustain the plane for me. Don't let it fall. But when I arrive home, I take the backpack God from my back again. I don't need you anymore. We just approach God for our own benefit. So we have to search for it. In John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said that uh, we would be extremely satisfied having this relationship with him. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water, pay attention, I give him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Who gives the water? Him. So it requires search because you have to search for him in order to find the water. And once you drink the water, it becomes a spring of living water in you. So we have to search for it. There are conditions to finding this water. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 tells us the conditions. And the conditional for who does not know is an if, isn't it? If means that is a condition. So if you could call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, and then you will find I will give you all wisdom and understanding and all that you need. But you have to search for it. So you have to search for it to find the spring of living water because it's not. Out there. It's like a treasure. And Jesus used that metaphor before. It's like a treasure. What it means is that God does not 
FedEx joy. He doesn't FedEx joy. He doesn't, God, give me tonight. And then tomorrow morning, I wake up, it's right there. He delivers overnight. He does not FedEx our joy. He doesn't do that. Why do I know that? Psalm 130 verse 5 says, My soul waits for the Lord. There is another passage that David said, Be still and know that I'm God. Just be quiet, be waiting, wait for the Lord. Our soul needs time waiting on God. Do you know why? If God answered our prayers quickly, we wouldn't meet with God in any kind of depth. We would just say, thank you, and I'm going. And then I come back and ask again, and if he gives me quickly, I would just, oh, thank you, and I will leave. Have no kind of relationship and intimacy with God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, sometimes we forget that. God gave Israel 40 years, 40 years test to see what was in their heart. 40 years in the desert. Christians today want to be, want to have an instant test. It's what I call the genera- Tylenol generation. Tylenol generation is, they want everything solved quickly. They devise the medicine, and you take it, and you wait like 30, 40 minutes, but they can't wait anymore, so now they have the instant tabs. The instant tabs was not working, so now they have this thing they stick on their forehead or, you know, roll on their temper, whatever it is. I want it quick. I don't want to have a headache for two minutes. Wait a minute. Having a headache is part of life. I don't want to have a headache. I don't want to have any problems. I don't want to have any pain. Most of us want to get to the promised land, but we don't want 40 years to get there. We want to get there quickly. But we are go-getters. If we don't get there, I'll find a way to get there. If God doesn't take me there, I'll get there on my own. Who needs God? If I don't find the joy, I will find my own joy. I buy it. I purchase it. I collect it. And that's the way we behave. So God doesn't FedEx our, our joy. He gives us a new PS delivery. You have to wait a little bit longer. And UPS stands for unrelenting patient search. Unrelenting patient search. Because that's the way it works. You have to search for the treasure. This builds our faith. It forces us to make God a priority in our schedule, in our daily lives. We have to meet with God daily. We have to wait on Him. We have to just have this relationship and intimacy with Him. So, significant growth takes place in the life of a believer when they go from delighting in things to delighting in God. Only in God. It's a transition. You have to learn that. That's why the author of Hebrew uh, complained about Christians. They were old in church. They should be master, masters by this time in scriptures and the things of God. But they are still drinking milk <laughs> because they are tough to grow. They don't want to grow. They don't want to spend time with the Lord. They don't want to search for the treasure. So delighting in God is the core of Christianity. 
Many Christians, I'm not saying, don't take me wrong, many Christians are chasing after God. Some of them are chasing for God's face, for who God is. But others are chasing after His hands for what they can get out of God. God, give me, give me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless my family. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is the order that? Why is the soul that? I, I still miss the soul that. Why you want that? Why should God give you anything? And then, folks, we behave this way. We cover up our behavior, and we try to clean ourselves up to look better for the world and for God. And then we began, began acting out, and then we, 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 we call this performance. And then we, we learn how to act, what to say, where to go, how to look, so we can fool people. But listen, you cannot fool God, because if you go with me to verse 22 of our passage, Jeremiah chapter 2. The Lord said, Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. You can clean that up. You can do it on your own. You're going to fail miserably. Don't try to find joy anywhere else. You can never remove the stain of sin from yourself. We have no power to do this. So, it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His atonement for my sin and for your sin that we are made, as Isaiah said, white as the snow. That's the only way of cleaning ourselves up. And this should make us through faith in Jesus and who He is. Make us to want to approach Him more and have a better relationship with Him. So my question for you this morning is, what is the solution for this problem? And the answer is simple. Obedience. God, for all those years, was searching in Israel for obedience. I don't find obedience. When we stop obeying God, we begin searching for something else to replace it. And then we begin collecting and buying and purchasing and finding joy somewhere else. And over time, we reject God completely because we devise our own system. We devise our own ways of doing things. And my question for you this morning is, how is it working for you? Is it solving your problems? Are you depressed? Do you have anxiety from time to time? How is it working for you? We should never, never stop obeying the Lord. Never. For one day, for one hour, for one week, we should be in His presence, always obeying His words. Words that will transform us and will change us. But how can you take a test on this. When you get home or when you are living your own life during the week, pay attention on your prayers. See if the order that is missing or so that is missing. Because if it is missing, you have to review your behavior. If not, no one thinks. It may take 800 years but you're going to reject the Lord. It's just a matter of time. 
we cannot replace the Lord for anything in life. Obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ and for the sacrifice he has done for us on the cross. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that allows us and guides us and helps us to understand. And thank you for dependency because without you we cannot do anything. Father, learn, teach us how to obey and teach us how to have a relationship with you and never depart from it. Thank you so much for all you do. May our lives glorify your name. Give us provisions, Father. Yet we need provisions. Without you, we cannot do anything. But give us provision so that we may spread your name and fame and renown and memory throughout the city of Naples, throughout the state of Florida and this country. Use our lives as instruments in your hands. Bless us, Father, to have a relationship with you. Thank you so much for all you do and all you have done for us. We cannot forget. We only got to hear because you have helped us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.